0: Welcome to Inside America's Minds, a series of original podcasts created and hosted by clinical psychologist, Dr. Jody J. DeLuca. Inside America's Minds features fascinating conversations with everyday people like you and me and their extraordinary experiences. Join us for this thought-provoking episode on Inside America's Minds.
1: Today, I have the lovely Erica Schiada, who is an executive for the world-renowned couture Chanel. Erica, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your work with Chanel. I know you have an executive position, but you also do other things. So
2: I have been in the beauty world for over 20 years, Um, whether it was whether hair or makeup. um, I also had the honor of working for Chanel, which was great um, and was with them for 14 years. Um, Due to certain episodes in my life on a health scheme, I was basically had to change my career a little bit based on what I knew, um, what I identified with. Um, but being part of being an executive with Chanel was, was great. Was it a great, it was a great brand. It was a great honor to be part of them. Um, but it's just, my life had to change a little bit.
1: Okay. So I know you're starting a new business, which we'll get to a little later on. So are you still with Chanel or, or not?
2: Unfortunately, due to the things that had happened to me on my health side, I needed to kind of change my life a little bit. Um, so I started a business based in, it's still obviously in the beauty world. So okay. I'm, a, micro, I'm a, a microblading artist as well as a permanent makeup artist. Um, but I also a makeup artist. I, um, deal with lashes, all of that. So I'm still in the world that I love and a world that I have a huge passion for. Um, but I just need to just change it a little bit for me, go down a different path.
1: So let's go to what the cause of the change in your life Was personally and professionally. Bring us back to July 20th, Saturday, 2019.
2: So it actually started 14 months prior to that. So that was the first uh, situation that I was in. Um, So it was a regular morning. I was still working with Chanel. Um, Busy morning. I was on a conference call. Um, Everything was um, like every other day and never had any symptoms or, or anything at all that, that stood out to me. Um, as soon as I got off of a conference call, I started getting extreme back pain. Uh, back pain where I almost thought I slept on it wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I knew it was something abnormal. I had never felt anything like that before. Um, and then probably a minute after that, it went right into my chest as well. So I felt it in my back and in my chest. Um, and you're at work at this time. You're at this point I was still home. You I was at okay. I was still home. I was actually in the process of leaving and going to be in my car for about 2 hours. So fortunately this happened at home and at the time my ex-husband was home with me.
1: How um, old were you?
2: 40, I just turned 40.
1: Okay, so that's 3 years ago. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Um so after the pain in my back and in my chest um, I decided to, um, I was sweating, sweating as if I was actually in the shower, like it was that out, out of control. Um, mm. And my ex husband at the time knew that there was something wrong. If I was by myself, I'm not one to make a big deal out of anything. So, would I have called 911? Maybe, maybe not. However, he did. Um, I didn't really know what was happening. I could, I was still very alert um, when the actual ambulance came. I walked to the ambulance um, and when I got into the ambulance, they immediately did an EKG and um, the paramedic looked at me and he said, I just want to let you know, you're having a heart attack.
1: Oh my gosh. So tell our audience what an EKG is. Um, An EKG basically shows you the
2: rhythm of your heart to see where you're at. Exactly. Electrocardiogram.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. So they hook you up and they tell you you're having a heart attack. So a heart attack was in progress. What do you What do you remember feeling and thinking at that time, if anything? And I'm assuming you're in the ambulance at this okay. point. Okay. Yeah. Um,
2: shocked because I don't think that in my life did I ever think I'd ever hear those words. I'm, I've always been pretty good about working out and taking care of myself and eating pretty healthy. So I think for me, a heart attack was never a thing. It's also not part of our family history either. So not something that I had to like be a little bit overly cautious about. Um, So we were in the ambulance and obviously going to the hospital um and getting into the hospital was um an experience because immediately as soon as i got into those front doors i probably had about 20 doctors around me because they never expected me at my age to even be there i didn't really know what yeah. to expect we it call a little- code blue yes yeah um and it was definitely overwhelming um, and I had a, a wonderful doctor who came right over to me, probably saw the look on my face
1: and was right there, like as support, just to be like, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Um, oh gosh. Were you still in pain as all this is going on and the heart attack is in progress, cardiac arrest?
2: They had, yes, it, there was some pain. They had given me some pain meds as well as like a few aspirin as well, just to kind of settle it down. Um, before and then,
1: then your blood to prevent a stroke in the brain. Go ahead. Exactly.
2: Um, so they did, you know, they hooked me up as much as they could. And then they brought me into the stent lab and I was in there and they, my, my family, my friends, everybody were were called. Um, I was actually in the lab longer than expected. Um, So I believe I was in there for probably close to an hour and they were not expecting to be in there that long. They really had no idea.
1: So from the emergency room, they brought you immediately to the cardiac catheterization lab where Mm -hmm. they went in. Okay, tell us what happened in the lab, what you remember.
2: So, I was told when I was in the lab, they obviously, um, I was, I basically knew part of it. You didn't, I was aware. I was aware of what was going on, but not really. Um, They can't like completely knock you out at all. They needed me to be alive and aware of what was happening at that time. Um, So I think when I was in there, I could feel a little pain here and there, but they were in there. They had found out that I was 100% blockage in the main artery of my heart. Um, hundred
1: percent a- blockage in the main artery at the age of 40. Correct. Wow.
2: Um, so they went in and I have a stent in um, as well. So my family had no idea. The doctors had come out part way and realized, like, let them know that we don't know what's going on. We're trying to do our best here. They didn't really know what the outcome was going to be. Um, and they were able after an hour to. I was able to get out. And I g- came through it okay, um, and obviously I went into intensive care, and, and I was there for about four
1: days. Um, so, what hospital was this at Erica? Rhode Island Hospital in Providence, okay. Rhode Island. So, tell us, tell the audience what a stent placement is. So, when they brought you into the catheterization lab, um, and they they put in the stent at that point.
2: Yes, they did. So it basically blocks that area as far as being able for other blood clots to happen in that area. So that was pretty much what they did. And it was just in that one area.
1: I'm fortunate to have one. And and opened up the passage of the blood flow. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, good. What are your thoughts when you're in the intensive care unit, the ICU?
2: I think that at the time I felt like shocked still. I don't think I really had ever gotten over that, that obstacle yet in my mind, like this is happening. Why is this happening? Like this is crazy. I don't know. I was really, I just basically was like, I'll get through it. I never had a negative thought in my mind when this happened. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like my life was over. Um, I knew that maybe things would be different. Maybe not, not really sure. In my mind, I was like, I'm just going to recover from this and I'm going to move on. And I think that was kind of in my head. i never, looked at myself as like, I'm a victim of a heart attack survivor, or um, I just never looked at life like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a little scary for me. Um, a little?
1: I think most of us <laughs> would have been, is this the big one? Is this the end?
2: Yes. I think, the, I think the, that part hit me when I was in the ambulance. I think okay. at the ambulance, it was one of those things where you're like, where is this going to go? Am I going to survive this? Am I not going to survive this? I think it was one of those things where you don't know what to expect because the entire situation was so unexpected. I didn't know where to go. My mind didn't really know where to go because it was nothing. I don't, I mean, truly, I don't know if anybody can prepare for a heart attack. I don't think anybody can. I mean, fortunately, I feel like I was very grateful. The fact that I was home when it happened, I wasn't in my car driving. I think if I was and my car driving I think it probably would have turned turned down a different road altogether um, so for me like it was scary yeah it was scary um, and it was I think I think the worst part for me was not during the time frame as far as um, what the actual um, heart attack itself was was scary but I think after when I had to recover it I had to go to cardiac rehab. Um, I'm in cardiac rehab for six weeks, and I was with people who were 70
1: years old and older. How, and so, how, what yeah. did, what, tell us what that was like, the cardiac rehab, because um, again, you and I talked before the, the podcast, and I told you this is, this is an area that I'm very intrigued with, and cardiac rehab is a lot of work. It's not for sissies. So tell us what that was like. So you're it's a
2: you're in a group with other people and there's at least, I wanna say 20, 25 people at one time. Um so there's different um cardio machines, whether it's a bike or a treadmill or a rower. Um, and you always you have like a therapist that's with you and they pretty much go through everything as far as like okay um, you have a hot monitor on when you do all of this you need to watch your your heart rate um, i couldn't go over 165 which for me when i did my stress test i had to do a stress test after my heart attack okay so they need to know like where am i at where do i need to stop they need to realize like where's my max capacity as far as my heart rate goes so for me i was able to be at 165 which they were very very happy about because I have some damage, but to be totally honest with you, very lucky because it could have been far worse. I probably could have been far, as far as where my heart rate went to go to 165 was a big deal. Um, yes. So when you're at cardiac rehab, you start off slow. Like they'll have you walking. Um, then they'll have you like speed up your, the pace a little bit. You'll go from one machine to the next and you have a heart monitor on the entire time. So they're always watching you. They come over to you, you're there for an hour. Um, and I was there three days a week for six weeks. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a great, I wouldn't say I, I loved it. I think a part of me was like, wow, I am in a room with people who are much older than me. And, you know, great people, great people that I was able to like meet, um, yeah. ex- you know, exchange stories. But at the same time, like everybody was looking at me because I was the youngest one there. I was gonna
1: say, what, and so what questions. Would our American seniors ask you with such a a young, beautiful woman that if people saw you on the streets, you would be the last person they would stereotype as having a cardiac arrest, a heart attack? So what kind of questions, I'm curious, did they ask you? They just were curious, very curious. I think a lot of them weren't sure if they should ask
2: me why I was there. They didn't know if mm. it was a private situation. Um, but at the same time, it's like a lot of people had a heart attack, so it was like we're exchanging stories, or wow. you know, just like how life is and how you don't expect it, and how like they, you know, had this at a much later age in their life. But it was, you know, I met some great people. Don't get me wrong. It was just for me. It was very uncomfortable for me to be in this Mm -hmm. environment because I never expected myself to be there. And for me, I will tell you that, um, when I'm there and you're at cardiac rehab and and you're, you're at a good pace and you're working yourself towards where you back the back, back to where you were before. Um, that was hard for me because I've always been an athlete. I've never been able Mm. to have like restrictions as far as like, I used to be a runner. Like, I think there was a lot that. I felt like this was very something I could do every day, and it's so different.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. has your view of seniors in America changed since that experience in cardiac rehab? Um, My view on them, as far as what was happening, as far as recovering after with health issues, just like after a heart attack. You don't
2: expect it. You don't expect to go down that road. But, and again, like, I never looked at it. I'm the only one in the world who's actually gone through this. Many people have gone through health scares at probably even younger than than I was at the time. Um, So I feel like um, it's just to know that I was at my age that I could probably get through this. I can heal from, from this whole thing and be able to move on where somebody who's doing this in their seventies, like how far will they rehab? Like where will, where will, they, where will their, body let them go? And I think that's one of those things where I felt very grateful to know that. Um, and that's a beautiful way
1: talking. to say it. Where would the body let them go? And, and just the strength and endurance at that age as, as we get older. So mm-hmm. go ahead. So after that, it was, um,
2: after cardiac rehab, I just, I, at this point, I'm like, I'm trying to um, get myself, get my life back to where it was. Um, I had to go through cardiac rehab. It was three months after my heart attack. Um, I was still on a leave from Chanel at the time. Um, And I had to make difficult decisions because I had a very unsupportive, um, ex-husband, where I was the one kind of holding all financial ends of it. Um, I okay. was handling the house, handling all of it. Um, he, so you were
1: head of the household to pretty much three years yeah. ago, you were still married to, to him. Yeah. And, and how, how did he respond when this happened to you? Thank heavens. He called nine one one. Yes. I
2: yes. thank you saved God. your life I'm in that sure respect. That. <laughs> yes. We could
1: say that. Mm-hmm. How, how, how did he respond to this? He had a
2: substance abuse issue um, and I had found this out. I knew there were some hints of it. I could see that was happening. Um, And sometimes I bring it up, he would completely blow it off. It was nothing he wanted to talk about. Coping skills was never his his thing. So for me, it was anything I was going through or anything I was stressing over, um, he had no coping skills. He didn't want to deal with it. So the whole Mm. of the addiction part of it is kind of what took over. Um, a month after my heart attack is when he sat down and said to me, I have an opioid issue.
1: Oh, wow. Um, like and- many Americans. Okay.
2: So there was that part of it. Um, and at the time I said to him, you know, I need you to help me at this point. You know, if we're, we're married, I we should be partners at this point. You know what's happening right now. My doctors did not want me to go back to my job with Chanel because they knew I was working 16 hours a day. I was dealing with the stress of what was happening personally and professionally, and they didn't want me to go back. Um, so there there was a time where I said, okay, like what do I do? Like I have to put my health number one, but at the same time, um, it was difficult for me to take a career that I loved so deeply and was part of me. It was, it was my identity. It was something that I could never imagine me not working for that company because I was with them for so long and I worked so hard for that position to think to, to walk away from that was a big deal for me. can't even Um,
1: imagine. And then all the responsibility of maintaining a household and everything that goes along with that.
2: Correct. Um, So my, heart attack happened in April, April 3rd. Um, and I decided to give my notice in December that same year. Um, so they knew that, you know, my boss was great. They wanted me to come back, but they also knew I needed to do what was best for me. Mm -hmm. And they also, um, I, at that point I was like, okay, what do I do? Like, what can I do right now? Um, I don't want to go back into corporate. The beauty world is my thing. Um, I opened a, um, lash extension place where I was working there, but I was now working seven days a week because my oh, ex wow. husband, was not helping at all. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to make money that I was making before. It was not going to happen five days a week and it wasn't going to work nine to five. So I did everything I could. I rebuilt a studio in my house to go back to being like, I was a bridal makeup pro artist for a long time. So for me, I was okay. there, I was trying to do anything I could to create recreate my life in a sense.
1: my gosh. And, and how long did you do that before the pandemic hit? Wow.
2: So what happened was that was in December of 2000, um, that was three years, prior, three years ago. Um, okay. so when I came into that year, I was doing that up until, um, until July of two, uh, that two, uh, excuse me, July of 20th of 2019. Um, and I had actually working seven days a week from December until then, um, all of this kind of like. I was doing everything I could to kind to of survive. It was like survival mode. How do I pay for a house? I have I'm dealing with a husband who can't deal with life. It was it was a different it was a different situation.
1: But it was so, as stressful maybe as your position with Chanel, right?
2: Of course. I think there was stress coming from many different avenues. And I'm pretty resilient. So as far as like I just kind of just I put my head down and just kept going. Like, I just did what I had to do. I never said anything to friends or family what was happening. I just was like, I'll figure this out. Um, so I had never gone, I hadn't gone on vacation for probably 10 years. Um, and And girlfriends of mine, her sister lives in Vermont. And um, she's like, "Why don't we come go to Vermont just for the weekend?" So I was able to go. So on July nineteenth of two thousand and nineteen, we drove up to Vermont. We're about five hours up there, and we got there at five o'clock on that Friday. Um, And the next morning, um, my friends found me in a situation in the bedroom that they never expected um, to find me.
1: Oh, okay. And this is the date you and I spoke of before the show. So July. 20th. Correct. 2019, Mm -hmm. Saturday in Vermont. Are you at altitude in Vermont? Um, No, not really. It was like,
2: it definitely was not that at all. Um, We just were there. We're at her sister's house. The altitude was, altitude was fine. Um, I had lost all bodily control. I don't know what happened. I was sick, they don't know what happened, but they came into the room. I had no idea any of this happened and it may have happened it, it, like later on at night in the middle of the night, or it could have happened that morning, but they came in oh and gosh. they were like, what, what happened? Like what's going on? And I didn't really know what to say, to be totally honest with you. I kind of was just looking around. I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to think. And my friends were looking at me. They said to me, like, what's my name? What's her name? And I was like, oh, I know your name. And I made it off like I knew it, but I couldn't say their names. So her sister is a nurse. So she came upstairs and did my vitals. And she was like, something's not right. She needs to go to the hospital. So um, when we got to the hospital, now there, there was a local hospital, almost like, a, an, like an urgent care almost down the street. Okay. So they brought me down there because it was 10 minutes away. Um, the closest hospital to us is in Burlington, Vermont. Um, but at the time, they just wanted to get me to a hospital. So when I got there, mm-hmm. um, when I was at the desk, the, um, the admin said to me, I- can I have your license? What's your name? And I couldn't say my name. And that's when, at that point, that was a shock to me because I didn't know
1: what- So your happened. speech, you had lost the use of your
2: speech. Correct. Like I couldn't, I couldn't oh think of the words for them to actually come out. Um, so my girlfriends were there and they're talking to the doctor and unfortunately a lot, I got there about nine 30 in the morning. The doctor there said that the, there's a huge, um, drug issue in Vermont. So at first he kept thinking it was a drug thing for me. Uh-huh. And my, yeah. my girlfriends were saying, absolutely not. This has nothing to do with it. I think she had a glass of wine the night before. Like, this is it. Like, there's nothing wrong. And he's like, I don't, but this is 9:30 in the morning. He didn't even do anything or say anything. And it was very quiet in there until one o'clock in the afternoon. So at that point, my, my friends are yelling. My parents found out because my parents live in Rhode Island. So now they're five hours away and my mom's a nurse. So she okay. had found out that he needed to, he should have acted on this sooner than later. And he didn't because he kept thinking it was a drug issue. And they kept saying- Did, did
1: he issue. ask you about any history? Did he, he did. know about the heart attack? He did know
2: about that. He had me take a urine test. Like he had me do all these things. and All the medical
1: that we would do in the emergency room to rule out any kind of substance use or abuse. Mm -hmm. But so, and yet you lost speech, but Mm -hmm. there were no CTs of your brain, no CAT scans of your brain.
2: Well, he did a CAT scan, but he he did a CAT scan at like 1230. It was later
1: than it should have. Oh my gosh. So how many about... How long after you got to the ER, the urgent care, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Before they actually started running tests of your head, of your brain? I It was, I, I think they gave it a couple hours. So got there at 9.30. I want to say you started
2: doing a CAT scan around like 12, 12.30, you found out what was going on. And then at that point it was like, then he knew that something needed to be done immediately. So they had a helicopter, take me helicopter ride over to the Burlington Hospital. The Burlington Hospital, which I think, you know, sometimes you're, you're at the right place at the right time. Um, mm-hmm. This particular hospital in Burlington is probably one of the best hospitals to be in if you have a stroke. Just So is there. that
1: is that what happened? Is you mm-hmm. had a stroke? Yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. what I know, and I've been out of the neuro units for quite some time now, but what I do know is that most strokes occur in the pre-dawn hours. Mm-hmm. So when your friends, thank God, found you, the stroke was an evolution, I'm assuming, and it was probably a left hemispheric or a left brain stroke. Correct. Because that's where the speech centers are, Wernicke and Broca.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Correct. So do you remember what was going through your head as you're waiting in the emergency room?
2: Deep. I was tired. I was okay. very tired. I kept falling asleep. I didn't really know what was going on. I knew that something was not right. My friends were being very calm throughout the whole process. They were they were great because um, they didn't really make a big deal out of anything. If they needed to have a conversation, they took it outside of my room. Like they were trying to keep me as calm as I could be. And I really didn't. I'm not one to um, overreact on things or hmm. to get stressed out about things. I'm pretty even keeled for the most part. Um, but I remember just being really tired. Um,
1: Did and you lose the use of one side of your body at all, or?
2: I did not. Um, okay. so when they brought me to the Burlington Hospital, like I was able to have a conversation with the doctor. They didn't expect me to do that. Like I could say what I could say. They didn't expect me to have any of that happening. Um, they went in and they realized that, um, Same thing with my heart attack. They found out that my, with my heart attack, they found out my main artery of my heart was obviously by a blood clot. Same thing with my stroke was also done by a blood clot.
1: With a a blood clot in the brain. Now, tell us about what you remember with the helicopter ride, because the air medical flights are usually uh, very traumatic within themselves just mm-hmm. like the ambulance do you do you have recall of that erica they were just extremely kind i think everybody
2: up there was very kind as far as just trying to make sure that i was you know calm that they were just be reassuring me the entire trip that everything was going to be fine i i just tr- truly i was very tired so i kept falling asleep maybe if I was a little bit more awake or wasn't falling asleep for whatever reason, maybe that helicopter ride might be a little bit different for me. But for the most part, I remember it. I still to this day can remember it, and if I remember falling asleep. I would answer them when they'd ask me a question. I'd fall uh-huh. back asleep. So that was my experience as far as as that, as far as my helicopter ride. Uh-huh. Um, and then we were probably in the helicopter for like ten maybe 10, 15 minutes at the Mm. most, but normally it would have taken an hour to get there if I went by ambulance.
1: And, and I've got to tell you the flight crew, the medically trained flight crew are referred to as guardian angels in the air, you know, because they are phenomenal individuals. Mm -hmm. The fact that you were so tired is because your brain suffered a traumatic event Mm -hmm. and that fatigue uh, is, is perhaps, or was perhaps a blessing. So, You have a stroke. How many months after the original heart attack? Fourteen months after. Fourteen months. Mm-hmm. So you get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? So the doctors are are obviously meet
2: me immediately, um, asking me questions, and immediately back into the lab again to go in there. And they went into my brain and been able to obviously stop this blood clot, keep the blood flowing where it needed to. Um, I don't really, I remember going in there, but after that, I'm not sure. I remember being very fuzzy on what was happening. Um, they, I remember having a really bad headache, probably a headache for, I was pretty much in my room, like in darkness, um, Mm. because of light, I just kept falling asleep. Like I just, I, I remember the pain was, was pretty brutal. Um, Mm. so I remember that was on Saturday. So I Woke up in on Sunday to a certain degree, as far as like knowing what was happening. I was being alert. I wasn't sleeping anymore, um, and that was a difficult time because at that time, my my family's there, my friends are there, um, and my parents are right there, and they've been watching over me and seeing what's happening, and like. They were surprised that, like, they were glad that I was there. I was alert. Um, the doctors would come over. They'd ask me to say, like, what a spoon as, a, as an example or what's. Um, or show I you an item I...
1: and say, what are these? And trying exactly. to see if your brain was able to connect all the right. Correct. Okay.
2: Um, that was difficult for me because it was. Um, I couldn't say the word. I could so you, say you had what we
1: more. call an aphasia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Meaning that you could look at an object that you've always known, but to identify it by its name, which requires memory, you were not able to do that. Correct. Okay. So
2: that was emotional for me because I didn't know like what happened. Like, is this my future? I think to be honest with you, Not that I wasn't affected by the heart attack because I clearly was. But the stroke was, I knew my brain was involved. Um, My speech was affected by it. Like that was hard for me because it was like, will I ever recover from this? Will I ever go back to what I know my life is like? Um, So that was Sunday. You can see
1: that you're reliving it. You can see that that past trauma is with you today. What a privilege to have you here talking about it. Thank you. Thank you so you you you're trying to say the words but they don't come out Mm -hmm. i yeah i mean that experience go ahead
2: yeah it it was um difficult um to to try to say something that was not coming out um that at that point again this was still on sunday they had told my parents and i i remember falling asleep um, I don't remember hearing this conversation, but basically what happened was um, they said to my parents um, that they she's going to have to communicate through an iPad. This oh is pretty, basically this is her future. And my parents were immediately like they booked me um, for me to go to Spalding, which is in Boston, as far as rehab goes. They, that's what they felt like. That's where I was going. They said that this is what's going to happen. She's going to have to speech through an iPad. Like this is what they what this is what they saw on Sunday. So Monday came around. I probably went back to sleep when they heard this information. I didn't hear it um, on Monday. We're waking up, and I remember saying to my parents, like I need to go use the restroom. And I didn't realize I had a catheter in, I had no idea um, because I just like I need to use the bathroom. My mom's like, well, um, okay. So the physical therapist came over and I think at that point she says, here, Erica, I want you to put socks on. So I was like, okay. And I I didn't think anything of it. I just got up and like, like obviously moved my legs over to the side of the bed and I was able to put the socks on. And everyone's looking at me like I had no idea f- for me to do that.
1: So you understood what they said and you were following <laughs> commands when the day before that wasn't happening.
2: No and I never really moved at all on Sunday but that was what they were that's they said to me this is what's going to happen with her future um based on you know testing and all of that um so She's like, do you want to go take a walk? And I said, yes, I just need to use the restroom. I didn't realize what was happening. So I got up off the bed and I walked down the hallway and I turned around and my mom and my dad and doctors are sitting there crying. They had, they didn't expect me to even do any of that. Um, hmm. The whole thing was, I, I was looking at them like, why is everyone crying? Like, I didn't, I'm like, what's the problem? Like, for me, I didn't understand because to me, I just did what I did. Um, so oh my gosh, I was able yes. Um, so when I was able to come back to, um, the hospital, I mean, back to the room, rather, um, I was there until Wednesday. Um, please note that my ex-husband was there, but he couldn't really handle much. So he was drinking the whole time and it was, he, he left me the first night I was there for when I was in critical care, obviously. So there was, it was really our relationship had, had been over before that. So I didn't have the support from there, but I had support from my parents and my friends that were there. Um,
1: so that still must've been difficult though, that your spouse was not emotionally available.
2: Yeah. Requiring think,
1: more strength. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so at that point
2: I, um, was there until Wednesday. So I drove home um, you, you, wait a
1: minute. So you have the stroke. Mm-hmm. And and then how many days later did you drive home? I didn't drive. I was oh. driven home. Oh, okay. Now no. I feel better. I, was be no, like, I, yeah, I know I, you're a super girl, but now you're a super, super girl. Okay.
2: I wish I could say I could have, but however, I, I couldn't drive for... I want to say it was a month, if I'm correct by saying
1: that. Wow. Say a month wow. And another survive. loss of independence that most people don't think about, you yes. know.
2: Okay. Yes. Um, so, you know, at that point, I'm trying to recover from this stroke. I'm, I'm obviously not working. Um, and in August, um, very end of August, maybe even September, I told my husband, my ex-husband, like, you need to go. I don't care what you're doing, but you need to go like, we're we're done. I'm done with this marriage. And I just knew that at this point, like I've had two health situations where I could have died on both occasions Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: I'm not going to live my life like this. I refuse to live my life like this. Or
1: be, be, I mean, very much compromised and disabled. Mm -hmm. Either one. Yeah. Okay.
2: And at the time, like when I was healing from my stroke, I had to go to speech therapy classes because my speech was, I could talk, but if I got e- excited about something, or if I wanted to say things faster than I wanted to, um, it wasn't coming out. That was difficult for me because I was like, why, why can't I just say what I want to say? I know the words. I can, I can think of the word. It just wasn't coming out of my mouth the right way. we have a connection. So, yeah exactly and um so I went to the speech therapist I had gone to see her four times and after four times she's like Erica you're okay she's like you don't need to come to see me anymore which to me like to know that they originally the doctor said I'd be communicating through an iPad and to know that now my speech therapist says I only need to take four classes was crazy to me um so at this point, it was a point where now I have a house, I have to know how do I figure out how I'm going to pay for this house, because now I'm, I'm alone with this situation. Um, I did whatever I could, but it really was survival mode for me at this point. So there was that part. So that was obviously September through, um, through obviously 2020. And then the pandemic happened in March. (laughs)
1: So that's a a trifecta of challenges here. Yes. So what Uh, happened once the pandemic hit? And by the way, let me say that no one would ever know that you had a stroke that affected your speech centers in your brain.
2: I know. I'm very, I'm very lucky. No one would ever know. No No one would ever know.
1: Um, So the pandemic hits and then
2: what? So prior to the pandemic, I got divorced. And then at this point, I'm like, okay, I need to sell my house. I need to sell it. So um, now we're in the middle of pandemic and trying to sell a house during a pandemic was not a good time because people weren't going into houses. people were staying away from each other. So I was fortunate enough to sell my house in June of last year, in 2020. Um, I was able to, to sell my house, move out. I moved into an apartment and I was still like, living off of unemployment, going through this whole, like, what do, like, what am I going to do? Like, a part of me was...
1: Erica, how was your mood? I mean, you had to be (laughs) depressed. You had to be like, okay, what happens next? It was. I mean, I would tell
2: you that it was, um, it was a challenge for me. I think it was a challenge because I had my career was my world. Like that was my thing. I've, I don't have kids. I have animals. I have two dogs and I have a horse. Like for me, oh, well. like, my animals are, are my kids. Um, but it came to my career. It was so, it was difficult for me for a while because like I had mentioned prior, prior that my career was my identity. I knew myself as I work for Chanel. I like, I eat and drink Chanel. Like this is just how it was. It was my life. Um, but at the same time, it's like, what do I do? And a part of me wanted to go back. I totally wanted to go back to corporate. I, I had contacted my my boss. They totally wanted me to come back. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to come back because um, the pandemic was there. Mm-hmm. They weren't hiring anymore, but they were uh, creating new positions and they wanted me to come back. So yes, were there moments of doubt? Were there moments of where's my life going? Um, Yes. I would tell you that um, I'm a yoga instructor. So for me, okay. um, to be able to um, kind of get into the whole meditating part, like being to meditate was a big deal for me. Um, for me, I needed to get out of my head um, and not talk myself into a place where I felt like, how do I not get through this? And again, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty strong when it comes to a lot of things. And for me yeah. through things, I just had to figure out what What do I have
1: to do? How how did you get through, especially those times when you were alone? And thank God, I'm so happy to hear you have animals because that unconditional love from animals is just, uh, it makes all the difference, but in the dark, in the deep of the night or the first things in the morning, when most people will feel sad or anxious How how did you get through those moments? Because you had a lot to be angry about. You had a lot to be worried about. And, you know, not only did you have a heart attack and then a stroke, but then the pandemic hits. And how did you keep going? You had the yoga and the meditation, but there's, and that's the uniqueness of you. That's what makes you extraordinary. But, But can you tell us, how you got through those pockets of, of tough times. I would
2: tell you that I feel like I, I feel that I'm definitely spiritual in a lot of ways. I feel like I'm, I was brought up Catholic. I went to college, a Catholic college, like I um, saw that. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I've had some extreme losses in my life. So I think there was a part of me where it's like, Not that I don't believe in a higher being, not that I don't believe in God, but I think sometimes you lose, you lose faith sometimes into like, why do things happen the way they happen? And you go through that whole situation. So as far as that goes, it's one of those things where, um, I just had to really just look at, um, look at what was happening with my faith and looking at what was going on with, um, you know, how do I get through this? How do I get through, um, Mm -hmm. How do I get through this whole thing as far as I feel like God is there and God is there to actually guide me in the right direction It may not happen right now, but it may be a situation where,
1: um, I hear the baby in the background trying to make her not. No, I have two. Are you kidding? Most of us (laughs) in America have pets. We get it. We get it. You can even pick. Pick, is it a she or a he? It's a she. Pick her up. Let's have a look at her. For those of you listening, <laughs> you've heard her sweet little voice. What's her name? Her name is Luna. Luna. Yeah, I have
2: two of them.
1: Oh, um, let's yeah. see. Let's she's see. Very, very, she's very vocal. Like, uh, um, listen, she's, oh, Luna, are <laughs> you a beauty there? Do you take care of your mama? Look at <laughs> she her. Does. Yeah. She does. She does. Um,
2: so yeah, I think that there's a point where you just, um, I had to realize there was a guidance. My mom was there to remind me every day that God's there. He's looking out for you and there's a path for you. Like you have to be patient. I can tell you that my patience is not great. I always want well, you're a very back.
1: Type A personality. Yeah, very. Um, which is why you're a high achiever And what we do know with rehabilitation of any type in healthcare is that Type A's usually will do quicker and better because they're persistent and insistent and like I said, yeah, you're not just super girl, you're super super girl. Thank you. So, no, I mean, I call it like it is. Um Thank I, you. you know, and I having had worked in like I had said, neurotrauma and, and neuro-rehabilitation centers, um, the strength and courage that it takes mm-hmm. is, is incredible to come back. And um, so the pandemic hits, mm-hmm. and, and I guess, Erica, life as you knew it on so many levels in such a small quantity of time changed almost overnight. If you look at a lifespan, it was almost overnight. And how did, how did you climb your way up and out? I think it was more about
2: any challenge that has ever been brought my way. I felt, I I think I'm pretty good at being able to get myself back to where I want to be. As long as I put my mind on something Um, and realize that for me, truly, I felt like I think what got me through a lot of things is that going through, going through a heart attack and a stroke, losing my career, selling my house, going through a divorce, which that was a blessing. But as far as anything else, it was, um, I felt like I was here because there was a purpose. There was a purpose for me, for me to still be on this earth. And I think my purpose was what can I do to try to help as many people as I can, um, and allow them, allow them to see that stress because doctors, they don't have an answer for me. They said stress is is was part of the reason why.
1: Um, I nearly never got an answer as to why this. So it was what we call in healthcare unknown etiology. There there was no evidence based cause, no family history, there was no genetic blood disorder that sometimes Mm -hmm. we come across which will cause children, even uh, babies in utero, fetuses to have strokes or heart attacks. You Mm -hmm. did not have any of that then.
2: No. I didn't have any of it. Wow.
1: You are a medical anomaly. You're probably written up in a journal somewhere. Be-
2: I feel like a, a lot of doctors are saying that to me because they yeah. do not have an answer for me, um, which I think that you can kind of go through your life wondering, like, I'm here. I'm still here. Um, there's a purpose for me here. And I think that that's what kind of kept me going. Um, I also feel like, yes, I mean, are there, were there moments where there was depression and what was my anxiety? Uh, over the top, a hundred percent. It's not like it was an easy, smooth road for me to go through and be like, okay, I completely got this. Like I had my days and days I had great days. And there was other days where I felt like, oh, like, how do I get past this? Where's my life going? How do I get my career back?
1: And, And then you were athletic, you were into health, you're into beauty. And what happens to all of that when you go through something like that? So
2: I think for me, it was, you know, go back to your roots and who you are and realize like use, use your, you're, you're an expert in this world because you've been in this world for a while. If I don't go back to what I know, my identity was gone. That's hard. That was really hard for me. Like when I left my career and the thought of even going back to it, and then that didn't happen because of the pandemic, that was really difficult for me because I didn't know, like when people would ask me, like, what did you do for work? I was very proud to say who I worked for. When people asked me after that, I almost felt like I was embarrassed. Like I didn't mm. know what to say. Like I could tell you all my whole story in the last three years, but for me, it was just, it, it was difficult for me. It was difficult oh, for me to say yeah. like, my life is just different um, and different. You can mm. say different in a positive way. I mean, there's, there's, there's negative to it, but I feel like things happen for a reason. There's always a reason for it to happen.
1: But there were so many losses, a loss of self, a loss of a marriage, a loss of a job that, like you said, you identified yourself with. Mm-hmm. And and I think we all identify ourselves by a lot of us, too, by the work we do, by the relationships we have. Mm-hmm. So on the guest information forum, I ask you a question. If you had one word to describe yourself, what would that be? Do you remember what you wrote? Resilient. Resilient. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. Yes. Right on with that. Resilient. Mm-hmm. And you also had mentioned that there were three topics, that three things in your life that you felt and you feel are very important to moving forward. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. One of them was your faith. Mm-hmm.
2: Another one was a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it remind me of the first one that I had. Well you
1: had that, strength, that's
2: purpose,
1: right. courage. And, so, and you know, I hear it from a lot of people who have been faced with very challenging and devastating experiences in life. Um, and they do question their faith. You know, and sometimes our belief systems are all we have as a control in a world that, you know, at any moment can change for us and everything we know changes. And we saw that with a pandemic globally, but even individually. So I I know the audience is wanting to know this. So how has your personal life changed since the heart attack, since the stroke, since the change of employment, since the divorce? So I, I took, I took what happened
2: to me and I said, okay, like I could completely could go down the same road, the same road that I am used to the same road, which is my comfort zone. Um, go back to Chanel, or if it wasn't Chanel going to go into corporate because corporate's my thing. This is what I know. This is what I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get my life back to the way it was. Um, and then the other part of me is something that I had tapped into before. I wanted to own my own business. I wanted to do my own thing. Um, This is way before the heart attack, when I actually, when I was in corporate. And when I was in corporate, it was where there was times where I wasn't very happy because it kind of, they took over my life. So there was, there was, you know, obviously pros and cons of being in corporate. So I realized that after all of this happened to me, I realized that life is way too short. Um, and I needed to make the most out of my life as much as I can. Um, I feel like this is where I think the being patient, um, and really allowing life to happen. Um, even though like, I don't think we always have control of what's going on. Your life is, is there and will be planned in its own way outside of you, outside of Mm -hmm. a higher being. Um, and for me, I decided to start my own business. Um, so I decided, tell us
1: about that.
2: I, um, became certified and I am trained and I'm actually a tattoo artist because I deal with makeup and permanent makeup. Um, my thing is I had to be within the beauty world because for me, that's your, that's your passion.
1: That's the pulse on the vibe for you. Wow. Exactly. So, but that was, that
2: was also, I'm going to say that was completely coming out of my comfort zone. I think that what happens when you work for a a company like chanel or in any of the other companies that i worked for um i think it's you become you you were successful in what you do but you're also behind their name i think when you're doing this for yourself it's you you are this like you're you're in the limelight you have to believe in yourself you have to believe that you can be successful and again patience comes into play there Um, and that was difficult for me because it's used to being able to jump into corporate, you know, get, you get a paycheck every week. You know, I just want to go back to my life the way it was. That was a struggle for me. Um, Mm -hmm. but to know that I could actually, you know, be my own boss, grow a brand, maybe even be more successful than I was before. And I think, um, at the time, you know, I, last year during the pandemic, um, like I would date and all of that, um. Mm -hmm. I you did him. date then? I did I did date? So I think as far on a personal and professional route, r- it was difficult last summer time because like in the summer I was trying to figure out like what is happening with my life, like where is my future going to be. Um, so I think there was a lot. I decided to um, open the business and get trained. Um, and as far as I'm actually in an amazing relationship now. Oh, um, good. Yeah. How is it different? Uh, it's just, I have no words for him. He's just amazing in so many so many ways. Somebody that I never thought in a million years I'd ever meet. Um, oh, how he, wonderful.
1: That's a wonderful fairy tale, right? Yes. Come yeah, true, come true. Yes, true. And I remember
2: having a conversation with him and I said to him, I am having a really hard time because he didn't know me when I worked for a corporate um, and where I worked for Schnell. So he didn't know of me then. Um, And that was difficult for me. And I remember having a conversation with him and I said, you know, Mm. it's really hard for me to know you and to meet you. Um, You don't know who I was before. He works in corporate, so I understand his world. Um, And he knew that starting a business was something I wanted to do. And he just said to me, Erica, like, I look at you with so much more respect, the fact that you were there. And he goes, for me, Mm. when you decided to open your own business, he goes to me, I think that's a complete promotion to what you were doing before. And that meant like, that was an amazing thing to hear because I think that you doubt yourself as I was here and now I'm here. And he was like, that's not how you should look at it. And at that point I was like, I never really looked at it like that because for me, I looked at it as, well, I'm non-incorporate. I am not incorporate i do not have that name to stand behind. I have to believe in myself and believe that I can to be successful and do anything I put my mind to. Um, and I think that was, that hit home to me because I didn't realize that I would be in this position now in my life if I would look back three years prior, never in a million years did I think I'd ever be here.
1: So if you were to write a book about your life, what would the title be?
2: That's a good question. Um, I feel like I've been told many times to write a book.
1: Yes, I, I'm <laughs> going to tell you, I think, I think it would be a wonderful idea and many people would definitely benefit from it including yourself. I encourage you to do that.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I think that it's, it's a, it's definitely a passing thought. It's something that I've thought about. Um, I'm not sure. To be honest, I'm not sure of what the, what I would, what I would call it. Um, I'd have to put more thought into that, but I think.
1: In the name of your new company, and I'm so proud of you, and I, and, and I know, that I agree with with your man. I agree that this is ever so much more challenging and Mm -hmm. takes so much more perseverance and diligence on your part to start your own business. But I also know that you're gonna do it and you're gonna be successful because you have shown that you will overcome things that were totally out of your control. With your business, you have Mm -hmm. a lot more control, but what happened to your health you were limited with that, especially because they didn't know why it happened. But you yeah. overcame that, and that makes you so extraordinary. Thank you. So the name of your business is right
2: now it's this it's my name,
1: um, I Erica Schiara.
2: No, correct. Um, so I consider myself a micro beauty artist. So that really incorporates anything to do with microblading, um, any permanent makeup. Um, as well as um, anything to do with makeup and lashes and all of that. I'm also going to be certified in scalp micropigmentation. Um, So anybody- What is that
1: micropigmentation? So it's the medical
2: part of permanent makeup. So it's anybody who's having any type of hair loss. So anything I can do to help people um, in that area um, is a big deal because not many people do it around here. So I feel like that's just gonna be part of another- um, Wow.
1: And so where can people get in touch with you, Erica? How can they, you know, seek you out? How can, they, how can they get your services? How can they seek you out? How can they know more about your company? The best way to
2: reach me would be through um, Instagram would be great. So it's at okay. ES underscore ri. Say that again for our audience. It's at ES underscore okay. microbeauty Rhode Island.
1: And what message would you like to leave with our audience? What do you want them to know?
2: I feel like don't ever let anything in your life stop you for what you want to do, no matter what obstacle that comes your way. I think it's, there's a time where you get very easy to give up. It's very easy to give up on yourself. It's very easy to um, just, just basically fall down. And basically when you do fall down, you can Mm -hmm. bring yourself back up and you can accomplish anything you put your mind to, but you have to have a little bit of faith in yourself um, and believe in what you can do and realize that there's nothing out there that can stop you. I don't care what it is. As long as you have the drive and the passion to move forward, um, don't ever let anything stop you um, from doing anything. I don't care what it is. It could be something simple or something major, but it's always something you can always get through it.
1: Well, I want to thank you so much for being on Inside America's Minds, for sharing your story, for showing that you can get through the most difficult challenges, for telling us that there is hope. There are wonderful things that can happen after quite challenging events. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's a privilege. And um, I, I'm excited to hear about you moving forward. You'll have to stay in touch. Thank I know you. a lot of people will want to know where you're at, what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Take good care. Thank you. You too. This is Dr. Jody J. DeLuca signing off. Take good care, America.
0: Thank you for listening to Inside America's Minds. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Inside America's Minds with Dr. Jody J. DeLuca. The views, information, and opinions expressed on the Inside America's Minds podcast series and on any other related social media pages are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of any third party. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological, psychiatric or medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay seeking treatment because of something you have heard on Inside America's Minds or have read on any other related social media pages. For emergency situations, be sure to call 911 or go to the nearest
1: emergency department.